Welcome to the Fash Scoop, where we're serving the latest and greatest in fashion, beauty, and lifestyle. This is Eamon, the co-founder of Fash PR, and today I'll be your host. I'll be talking with Valerie, the designer of Yellow Cake Shop, and we're going to be talking about her journey into the world of an ethical fashion brand, um, behind the scenes of her experience on Project Runway and All Star 5, and how she has, you know, made changes among the coronavirus. So, hey, Valerie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background in fashion? Sure. Yeah. So um, I was born in Texas, uh, but I've lived in Cleveland, Ohio for almost 18 years now. And I actually started my career in illustration and graphic design before I became a fashion designer. So I you know, wanted to leave Texas because I wanted to see the rest of the world. And at 17, the world to me meant anything outside of Corpus Christi. <laughs> and so I actually moved to Philadelphia and I went to school at the University of the Arts for about a year. And then I had to move back home because my, my grandmother passed away and my, my mom needed me home. And um, financially, we just couldn't sustain it, even, even with a scholarship. So I went to a couple different schools. I, I even got to go to school in LA for about a year on a scholarship. And um, I just, I fell in love with fashion. So uh, after I got my degree in illustration, I was freelancing for a while, but um, I just really couldn't shake the fashion um, desire in me to make clothing, but I didn't know how to sew a single stitch. I'd never used a sewing machine. Yeah, I was really scared of sewing machines. Um, And there was a client, I was a bartender. I was working like five jobs. I was bartending, I was working retail, I was nannying, I was donating plasma. I mean, I was doing all the things. And um, I, I had a client who asked me to make her a dress and I, tr- I, you know, I took her on and I had a friend help me sew it. And she ended up um, taking the dress and not paying the full amount she owed us. And I got really frustrated and I said, you know what, I'm just gonna teach myself how to do the rest. I'm going to learn how to, how to make a garment myself from start to finish, and I'm going to learn all about business and business law and, and contracts, and I'm not going to let anyone take advantage of me ever again. And so that was kind of my motivation for, um, for learning how to, how to be a fashion designer, I guess. I really wanted to, to learn how to do it myself um, and make sure that I to do it right so that nobody would ever take advantage of me that way again. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an, an unfortunate situation that kind of motivated me to do bigger things with my life that I didn't really, I wasn't even really aware of it at the time. Wow, that's but, amazing. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into fashion. It was really in a happenstance sort of way. I think I fought it for a while because I really didn't know. Um, for me personally, I wanted to, I really wanted to contribute to the world in a way that made an impact. And I just didn't feel like um, fashion was the way to do it. I from what I knew about the fashion industry, it seemed like it was a very self-serving, very vain, mm-hmm. very, very damaging industry. But, but I, you know, I did some research on um, slow fashion and ways that we could maybe, as a company, if I started one, move the needle in a positive way. And so I, I set out to do it. And, and here we are. <laughs> and when was that? How long ago was that? Um, that was in, I think, two, so it was 2007 when I was bartending. That I made that dress for that client and then it was 2008 when I I took a few classes at a local college um, but I ended up dropping out because I couldn't afford to finish and I was just I was too tired of waiting and so I was like I'm just gonna teach myself the rest so I bought a bunch of books and I um, bought an old machine and I, I kind of taught myself what I could and how I could and that was in 2008 um, 
and I was a nanny for a family in Independence, Ohio, and they're still really, I mean, they're, they're like my second family, really. Um, they had eight kids. Wow. I, I, was, I was their nanny for about seven years. The, the youngest were only six months old, and now they're 14 years old, so it was, wow. they've, I've been really close to them. But um, when I first started working for them, the, um, the woman who hired me, her name was Lisa, she really believed in me, and she, um, she helped me file my vendor's license. She um, gave me an advance on my paycheck so I could buy my first real industrial machine. And when I went on Project Runway, she, you know, helped me pack my bags. Wow. And I felt the application. I mean, she was, she was my biggest cheerleader. Um, and she actually passed away in 2012. Um, oh, but wow. she, she was like my second mom. And she was, I, she was really a huge driving force to motivate and encourage me to start a business. Because she, she saw something in me that I, I wasn't really confident about. I didn't know if I could do it and she had her own business and she was really successful and she was like, it's not that hard, just do it. And, and so I did. And, um, that was in 2009 and, and yeah, the rest is, is kind of history. But, um, but I was really, I was really lucky, you know, she was my employer and she, she never gave me a handout. She really believed in just teaching me how to do the things for myself. Um, and, and it was the best education I could have ever received. So, That's so yeah. amazing. It's so amazing. You just meet these people and they see so much potential in you that sometimes, you know, we don't see in ourselves and it leads mm -hmm. to such amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned that, you know, you wanted an ethical brand and now it's something that's being more talked about. So back then, I'm pretty sure it wasn't even something that was common. Like what made you want to have an ethical brand and like start that? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, my family is from Central America. I'm from Guatemala. And, you know, Latin America is definitely one of the countries that is uh, heavily entrenched in the fast fashion industry. Yes. Um, obviously, now it's, it's mostly Bangladesh, Vietnam, Cambodia, yeah. um, Turkey even. But, but a lot of uh, women and children in Latin America are also marginalized heavily, um, paid unfairly, forced to work in unethical standards and conditions. Definitely. And, and I knew that if... Um, if I could start a business that was earning money and, and profitable and growing, then we could provide jobs for women and pay a fair rate, uh, pay a fair living wage. Um, and then we could also make products for people so that maybe they would buy less of the fast fashion products and maybe they would want to invest in quality products that were made Over well by, by their neighbors. Exactly. Yeah. And um, when I was first learning about fashion, I came across this woman named Kathleen Fasanella. She has um, a business called Fashion Incubator, and um, her blog is fashionincubator.com. But there's, there's a hyphen in between fashion and incubator, so that's, that's key. Because I guess there's another right. fashion incubator, but it's not the same thing. Okay. So it's fashion-incubator.com. And she wrote a book um, called the, um, the Manufacturer's Guide to Sewn Products. And it's, she's just a really, she's a wellspring of knowledge. I mean, she, she has Asperger's, so she's really on wow. a different level. Yeah, she's, she, she thinks in a very um, definitive, very detailed way. Yeah, she's just a pattern-making genius. Um, but she, she was giving a class, and um, it was only, she only offered it once a year to three students only, and you had to take a test to make sure that you were compatible with her personality. Wow. <laughs> I just barely passed it, because I guess extroverts are not highly compatible with people on the spectrum. And so... Yeah, so I didn't she know that. Me in the class. Yeah, I didn't either. I'm an um, extrovert, but and I work with children with disabilities, so mm -hmm. maybe it's yeah. for kids versus adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah, possibly. It's, it's very possible. Um, but she um, let me in the class, and I took it. And it was three days, 
And I remember calling her because um, I was really wanting to figure out ways I could start producing my work in a larger scale. Um, Cause I'd only been, I'd been sewing by myself only. And I was really getting tired of sewing everything myself. Mm-hmm. And so I called her because there was, um, there was a woman in North Carolina that did small batch production for small designers like me, but she was asking for a lot of money up front oh. that I didn't have. And so she was like, well, if you don't trust me, if you want someone to vouch for me, call Kathleen Fasanella and she'll mm-hmm. vouch for me. So I called Kathleen out of the blue and I, I talked to her and she was very blunt with me. And she was like, why do you want to hire somebody? And I said, well, because I don't want to do the work myself anymore. I want to do the designing of the business end. And she said, do you have more time than money right now? And I said, yeah. She's like, well, you have to keep doing it yourself. And she was like, and then when you, when you, if you have more time than money, do everything yourself and hire your neighbors. Don't hire someone in another state, just hire your neighbors. That's good advice. And so, yeah. So I was like, okay. So then I took her class and I learned a lot from her and, and I, I just started hiring my neighbors and I put out a call on Craigslist and I found some local sewers and um, yeah, my, one of my sewers that I, I remember um, her name's Valvetta. She's been with me for 10 years. Um, oh. She's one of my best sewers. Yeah. And, and it really is a lot from what I learned from Kathleen. Um, but I knew that if I could hire my neighbors and if I could keep it local, I could maintain the quality. I could pay a fair living wage and I would be um, doing more for my community and my local economy than I ever could if I was producing things overseas or in other places of the country. So, so yeah, it was, it was really the research I was doing and the things that I was finding out about the fast fashion industry versus slow fashion that really motivated me to, to commit to a slow fashion ethical brand. Um, and it wasn't always easy because, you know, people of can course. buy anything anywhere for mm-hmm. a fraction of what we charge um but but yeah we, we were really committed to it because um i just i couldn't sleep at night doing it any other way that's amazing that's so amazing to hear so you know now i'm sure you are doing more of the designing process and not as much of the sewing mm-hmm. right <laughs> so exactly. what's your design process like from conception to completion how does it work out for you hmm. um yeah it's really shifted i think um Especially since the in, you know invention of Instagram and social oh, media. Yeah. Social um, media, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, social media plays a huge part of what we do now. Um, we start basically with um, our historicals and our data and what our clients are buying the most of and um, what our clients are wearing the most of. So we look at Pinterest. We look um, before Corona, we would go to malls and see what was on the sale rack versus what was on the new new arrival rack, um, and then. We would pull our clients and we would ask them, what do they feel like they're missing from their wardrobe? What are their pain points? Um, so we definitely approach design um, in a much more pragmatic way now than we ever did before. Um, I think now that I'm older and I have a child and <laughs> business, um, I'm definitely looking at things that like, what's going to make me feel comfortable? What's going to make me feel stylish and put together? And what's going to be um, easy for me to maintain? And what's going to be versatile, right? So we, we noticed that our clients were looking for style, comfort, and ease. And so, yeah, we basically just kind of research those things. And, and we try to design around what we know our client needs and wants and will feel her best in. Um, but sometimes, every now and again, I'll design, you know, some crazy random, um, you know, jumpsuit with, like, stripes and polka dots and sequins. And, and usually it'll be a big hit. Sometimes it'll be a flop, but, but I would say eight out of ten times they're a big hit. Um, and then we also do custom work. So we, we have several clients that, that 
luckily can afford our custom price points. And, and, you know, I actually just had a client in yesterday where she got a promotion to this really big tech company and she's treating herself to like a custom three piece suit. Oh my God, that's amazing. It's going to be really cool. And I'm so excited because she's really adventurous with her style. Um, but she's still conservative enough that it's, it'll be like a really classic suit that she can wear for years to come, but we get to have Oh, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I am too. I can't wait. I got like this stuff like that is really fun for me. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we have our ready to wear and we design with our client in mind. We make sure that everything has pockets. We make sure that it's machine washable if possible. Um, and then if not, we think of ways that we can design it so that we know that they'll use it for years to come. That's definitely a big, I think, uh, uh, mission of ours is to design the products so that we know that they won't trend out of style next year mm -hmm. or even in six months. We've been making the same tri pocket cardigan for seven years and wow. every year. Every year, I think that it's going to die out. We we increase our production by thirty percent because it's That's so solid. So yeah, yeah, I think. Um, and, and what we do too that we really think is fun is that we try to include our clients in the design yeah. process. So sometimes we'll I'll put up five drawings on Instagram and I'll say, hey, I'm thinking of a jumpsuit. Which one should I make? And we'll let them vote on it. You know, and then if we have two that are the top three top top contenders, then we will we'll make both of them, and then we'll have them vote on their favorite color, or we'll have them vote on. What price point does you know suits their their budget best and um do they want pockets do they not want pockets do they want it to be this color or this color and so it, it really helps um guide our direction because obviously we're not making these products just for us you know and we're not making them to just sit on a shelf and collect dust we're making them to be worn to be lived in and to be used yeah i think that's amazing especially with social media you can really get like instant feedback from your clients and like mm -hmm. who better to ask than the people who are going to eventually buy it and wear it um mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you are also a mom and, you know, you have this business. So how do you manage everything? How do you structure your days? Like, do you find it was hard in the beginning and now it's easier? Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say in the beginning, um, it was definitely harder because um, managing a newborn with a business is nearly impossible um, <laughs> unless you have maybe, I don't know if you have a nanny or if you have a family here. And my family's in Texas and my husband's family, um, they all work. Um, in healthcare, so they're they're never available. Um, so, see, so yeah, I was pretty much just my husband and I, and he works full time. Mm -hmm. So I was I had her home with me every day, all day for two years oh, until wow. we felt comfortable enough to put her in daycare. And um, and it was you know it was enjoyable because I was able to be close to her, but it was hard because I was just never sleeping. You know, my husband would come home at six p.m. He would take the baby. I would go to the basement. I would do my sewing till like five in the morning. Then I would sleep till maybe like seven or eight. He'd have to leave for work. I'd have the baby, and it would just be like nonstop. You know? So, yeah. So I think in the beginning it was hard. It's not impossible. Um, I'm just I just personally was not the most efficient mom. Like oh. I just I'm just not a, I'm efficient when it comes to some things, but motherhood is not. I'm not efficient at all. Um, so, um, but so everyone but has yeah, their I, own way. I'm sure. Right. And, um, you know, for me, as, um, as she got older, it became a little more manageable. Do you want to say hi, Luna? Hi. <laughs> it became a lot more manageable as she became older. Um, and then when she, you know, entered daycare, it was, it was a whole new season for me. You know, it was like uh, another so much time. Yeah, I was able to actually have a regular business work day and I was able to, to you know, go to the studio and, and set aside time for, for work. Um, so, yeah, I think with Corona, it's been a very different world. Um, oh. luckily my husband's working from home too, but we're both working full time and we have our daughter here with us now every day. And in the beginning it was tough. It was really tough, um, but we've gotten used to it and we don't really have a set schedule. 
we're kind of more like flying by the seat of our pants, anything goes situation. Like, yeah. I think we went to bed at 10 o'clock last night and he's been in her, oh, Michael. I think we have breakfast for dinner almost three times a week. So, you know, it's, it's I think we're a little more lax now than we used to be. And we're just kind of doing whatever we can to get by. But um, yeah, so uh, it's, I'm lucky that my husband is as helpful as he is, and he's as hands-on as he is. More hands-on, um, and he's he's super helpful. And even with the business, he um, assists when and where he can with our processes and our systems and our back end. So, so I'm really lucky in that way. That's amazing. So, I wanted to ask you because I feel like a lot of people have you know different ideas about designers and ethical fashion, especially since the conversation is such a hot topic nowadays. There's so many you know definitions so what do you think are some like common misconceptions maybe about designers and ethical fashion and can you kind of like debunk the top two Mm -hmm. that you can think of yeah i mean i would say ethical fashion and sustainable fashion are terms that are being thrown around a lot kind of Mm -hmm. like when organic food was like yeah um i think food companies quickly realized that that they could um, slap a sticker on it and say all natural or all organic or, but you know, if it didn't have the, the FDA organic stamp of approval, then it, it was really just marketing. Yes. So I think what's hard right now is that a lot of small designers cannot become, you know, GOT certified or fair trade certified because it's expensive and it's a long, arduous process, but that doesn't mean that they're not ethical or sustainable. Um, it just means that they might not have the budget to have all the certifications that some companies might um, and on the flip side, there are lots of companies that are not ethical, that are not sustainable, that are not um, made domestically or made honestly, that mm. are claiming that they are. So, um, for example, um, you know, if products are produced overseas, but if they are finished in the States, then they can still claim made in America status. So oh, that's like, true. So it's like a shortcut. Right. So like a garment can be totally fully cut and assembled and produced overseas and then they can put a tag or a button or, you know, oh. finishing on in Puerto Rico and they can call it made in America. And we don't know if that company is, usually what I say is the general rule of thumb is that if a garment, if you're paying less than $40 for a dress and it says made in America, it probably was not made in America. Because um, if you do the math and you break the down, cost the doesn't make cost, sense. Right, the cost of labor plus the cost of materials plus the markup for retailer wholesale, forty dollars is not enough for a dress that's made in America. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that process of you mm-hmm. know how some brands decide the price because they're like, mm-hmm. oh, ethical fashion is so expensive. But you have to understand that we're so used to a fashion industry where fair wages have not been paid and mm-hmm. stuff has been made for us. Right. Now, when people are getting paid their due, it's going to be a change. Right, exactly. And that's the thing that is the hardest um, for me to combat with, not even combat, but educate our clients on is that I think that people, if you ask them, do you want more jobs in America? Do you want people to be earning a fair living wage? Even if it's a company that's overseas, as long as they're paying their, their, their employees a fair wage, that's still great. But like people want everyone to have fair wages. But, but they don't um, they don't want to pay the, yeah. the price tag and that's what's hard. I don't want to go the full way they're they're right. like yes I believe in mm-hmm. it but they're not willing to put 
the money where the talk where, exactly and that's the thing too is like you know even with talk of immigration i mean it fast fashion isn't political but it could very easily be viewed in, from a political lens because 100%. if you have yeah if you have people that are wanting to build a wall and keep immigrants out of this country um they might not realize that it's immigrants that are funding and fueling a lot of our industries a lot a lot of the things that they buy on amazon a lot of things they buy from wayfair a lot of things they buy at target are built and crafted and constructed by immigrants and you know if you don't want to pay the uh, an immigrant their dues or you don't want to pay let people come into our country that are not from this country then get ready to pay exorbitant prices right because you want american jobs great you want only americans to have those jobs they're going to want $20 an hour or more. And so you're not going to be paying $7 for a t-shirt anymore. You'll be paying $68 for that t-shirt. Yeah. So I think that's something that, um, yeah, people maybe don't understand about ethical, sustainable fashion is that they think it's expensive for the sake of being bougie and expensive. Yes. <laughs> but it, it costs a premium because yeah. we're paying American labor. And some of us are using organic fabrics or we're using fabrics from jobbers mm -hmm. or we have higher wages to pay because we're paying our staffers a fair living wage. Mm -hmm. um, and we also don't have the backing or the capital that large corporations have, you know, exactly. so you don't have all that funding. Right. If you look at even Kanye, right, he, he's <laughs> been all over the news lately for having received millions, if not billions in PPP for Yeezy for his fashion brand. And he's claiming that it was because he's giving jobs to 120 people, but this man is a billionaire. That's and true. It, you know, so it's like, okay, well, if I'm being asked to keep my employees on payroll and I'm a small business and I don't have a billionaire status or bank account, you know, it just, so you think about that. And I think the consumer doesn't realize what they're giving their money to. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that we ought to be wary of is if the brand is really made in America, then you'll be able to research it. You'll be able to see it on their website. Um, and if it does have a made in America tag, you really want to make sure that you're checking that price tag to make sure it aligns with a made in America um, business model. You can always email and ask. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, customers want that mm -hmm. clarity about, you know, where is the brand coming from? Like, mm -hmm. what am I purchasing? I feel like a lot more people are right. being self-conscious about that. So, mm -hmm. you know. Do the research. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and there's even some bigger companies. There was um, a company that was on Shark Tank a while ago. Um, and I won't out them because I, I mean, I guess people can research themselves, but it was a, a female owned business and she seemed like a nice enough lady, but she, she grossed 8 billion in her first year. Wow. Um, yeah. 8 billion. And she was selling dresses and, and things basically that she was wholesale. So she was buying them wholesale from overseas companies and selling them on her website. And the reason she was so successful is because everything on her website was under $40. Oh. So as she grew, um, she was touting that some of her products were made in America. And I called her out of it on Instagram and she, she got really upset. She sent me oh, a video no way. of all the garments. Yeah. She sent me a video of all the garments she had in her warehouse that said made in America. And I said, but what are the price points for these garments? She said, well, we, we always do 20 to $40. And I said, it just seems to me that maybe you're being taken advantage of. You need to really ask your manufacturers where they start and originate your products. Because if they're finished in Puerto Rico or they're finished in, um, in the, you know, the California near the border, um, it's very likely that your products are not being made ethically. Mm -hmm. And just because the tax is made in America doesn't mean that it really was. And so, you know, I'm looking at this woman and she's built a very successful business. Um, and I could do the same thing easily. Anyone can do it. But the real question is, do you want to make your fortune on the backs of women and children and on the backs of the poor? And, and I couldn't answer that question with be, and, and be able to sleep at night. And if, if other people can, that's their prerogative. 
but it doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it ethical just because it says it's made in America. Definitely, that's, you know, definitely people are starting to realize more and I think brands are starting to realize more, Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely some good information. Um, And do you think that there were any resources that really helped you on your path to running an ethical brand? Um, Like, you know, any new designers that might be looking to start their own brand and wanted to be Mm -hmm. any kind of like resources or advice you could give them? Yeah, I mean, I would say Kathleen was a huge resource to me and her blog, you know, fashionincubator.com is a really great resource. I mean, it definitely takes a lot of time to immerse yourself in her posts and, and read everything because it definitely is um, a little bit more advanced. So it's not for, you know, every new beginner and it could be daunting at first, but I learned a ton just about cottage industry, about sourcing supplies, about, um, you know, fair labor practices. Um, and, and that's really where you're going to I think it'll help to start. There, there are definitely companies like, um, I think there's a one called Startup Fashion, or I think there, there's another one. It's, it's, there, there's, lo- there's lots of companies that are out to, that, are, that exist to help small designers and help them grow their business. And they're not bad per se, but um, you can do a lot of the work on your own. Um, I think a lot of times those, those companies exist to help people that want to be designers that don't have any design background, don't, know, don't understand textiles or... Mm-hmm. Um, sourcing or, or basic terms um, but you know sometimes those companies are they, they do require a lot of money so you want to be careful when you know if you have more time than money do as much as you can on your own that's the best advice I can give um, and then really just kind of like you know asking the other creative businesses around you you know I had a couple of people that I reached out to when I first started that were working in my industry that were similar to me um, and, and sometimes people can be very tight-lipped in the industry because they don't want to give away their resources. But, you know, if you ask 10 of them and two of them get back to you, it's, it's a start. You know, you kind of have to just follow the clues and follow the leads. Um, it took me about three years to, to find really good suppliers and, and sewers um, just because I was constantly hitting walls or constantly running into issues and constantly paying too much. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the more you do and the more you, you let yourself grow slowly, the, the better you off you'll be. I agree. And I, I think what you just said about people being tight-lipped is really, really a thing. You know, I feel like now as someone who has, you know, accomplished a lot in the industry, when people ask me for help, I'm like always happy to help because when mm-hmm. I was in the industry with someone that wasn't from a fashion background, you know, someone who studied psychology mm-hmm. going into like hospitals, no one really helped me. And I, I had to learn all that. So now I'm like, you know, I would right. want to help other people because why not? The you know, right. I don't think it's like you're not fighting for a seat at the table. I think there's many seats and mm-hmm. some people just don't have that concept yet. But right. you know, um amazing advice. And I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about this next question <laughs> because it's always the TV. Uh so do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience on Project Runway season eight, if I'm right, and all stars? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Project Runway was a it was a great time. It was definitely something that I would never take back or or I don't ever regret doing it. Um, I, I I loved it. It was stressful and it was scary and it was um, yeah at times humiliating. But I think that's just kind of the 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 nature of the beast. How did um, you get on it for our customers so, that may not know? Yeah, so actually someone reached out to me. You know, I had not um, approached it or pursued it myself. Um, I had only been sewing for about two years at the time, and I was really unsure about um, doing that. But, um, but yeah, I, I got an email from 
actually another right now, they have an email from one of their casting directors. Oh, wow. And yeah, I was really surprised and I thought it was spam. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, but um, yeah, it was, it was unique to say the least. But um, yeah, I'm, I filled out the application, I sent in the forms and then I, I didn't get on this the first time I applied, I got on the second time that I applied. So yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of, I wouldn't say it fell on my lap because it definitely was a lot of work, um, but I was not, um, yeah, I just, it was a surprise to me. So yeah. Nice. And how about All-Stars? How was that experience? Um, All-Stars was um, unique uh, in the same way, you know, they, they just kind of called me out of the blue and, and asked if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was like, well, when and how and where? And yeah, just it, it, that one was um, a little more unique in the sense that you can't apply for it. You have to um, get called by the casting directors, and then if they want you, they want you, and if not, then you know they, you don't get you don't get a chance. So, so you really couldn't appeal to anybody or make a phone call or send in an application. You just had to wait until you got a call. And yeah, when I did, I was like, sure, I'll I'll jump at the chance because it was it was fun the first time. So I figured it'd be more fun the second time. And it must have like brought a lot of exposure and a lot of, um, I guess, you know, more networks for you as a designer and someone who's promoting ethical fashion must have been an amazing experience. Oh, yeah, it was a great time. I, I mean, definitely, you know, reality TV is um, it's its own kind of animal and uh, people might not realize this, but I think a lot of the work we do in reality TV is real. Um, obviously, the, the, the work we put in, the designer, the designs, everything we do is our own and that part is real, but, but there are some some parts of, of television that are scripted, that are coached, that are oh, really? predetermined. Because, like what? Are you allowed to say? Um, I mean, yeah, you know, the outcome, you know, the, the winner is really, it's, you know, even Isaac Mizrahi, when I was on All Stars, he told me himself when I was eliminated and on the runway with him after the cameras were off, he was like, this isn't really a design show. He said, this is a game show disguised as a design show. He's like, the, oh, the, the best designer doesn't always win. It's the best game player. Interesting. And, yeah, that's kind of the nature of the beast. You know, at the end of the day, they still need ratings. They still need an audience. They still need drama. They still, they have stories to write. And, and each of us is assigned a story writer. And then their story writers develop our story. And they try to push that narrative in whatever way they can. So it's really not up to us. It doesn't matter how good you are or how talented you are, how many followers you have. It really is up to the sponsors that they have to satisfy. It's up to the audience that they want to cater to. And it's up to the, the ratings they know they can get based on the character that they choose to win. That's so, very interesting. Yeah. I personally never knew that. So I'm sure it's going to be the first time for a lot of people hearing that. Um, yeah. I guess now we'll be more upset when our favorite person doesn't win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know that, I mean, there were times that like they would praise a designer because the zipper looks nice. And it's like, okay, but it seemed like they were pulling, grasping at straws, you know, so... But yeah, I think that it really just, I think in the beginning days of Project Runway, when it was run by Magical Elves, there was definitely more elements of design and, um, and fundamental non-biased opinions being based around that. But once it switched production companies and once reality TV kind of became a whole new genre of television that we'd never seen before, people, people started learning the formula. You know, if you have, if you have a, a disease or a dead relative or some kind of major tragedy in your life you can plug that story and cry those tears and try to you know kind that of move your yeah move, move yourself further in the game just for the sake of drama you know so so yeah it was definitely um people learned the formula and they they tried to follow it and sometimes you can tell when people are pandering to the cameras or when they're being oh yeah them. i agree because um there's like a lot of these like new kind of designing competition shows on Netflix and mm-hmm. Amazon Prime and like I saw a couple and like some of them felt 
more scripted than mm-hmm. the others. Um, but you know, overall the kind of structure is the same. But is there mm-hmm. anything you wish you had known before you went on reality TV? Um, you not really. I mean, before? no. I mean, I think I, I kind of learned a lot of new things when I was on it. Um, I wish I had more experience um, when I went on the first time, but I think all things considered, I, I think I did okay. But um, yeah, you really need to have a thick skin when you go on reality TV because um, it's really not for everyone. And I just don't know if I was built for that kind of pressure cooker, but I did the best I could. <laughs> and I'm sure you did amazing. That's some amazing feedback for that. So, you know, I'm sure everyone's going to go and watch your episodes now. <laughs> yeah, I think they're on Netflix and Hulu. I'm not sure, but yeah, they're out there somewhere. I'll rewatch them. Yeah. <laughs> on to our fun section. So this is our true or false. Um, are you ready? Yep. So true or false, you were once an actress. True. Briefly. <laughs> yeah, it was, what yeah, were you? It, was a very, it was a very, very short stint. There's a local company that was looking for um, local somebodies to do these like short films. I think the biggest name they had in the film was Busy Phillips. And then the rest were all just local people. <laughs> so yeah, it was a very, very brief. Okay, so you kind of already mentioned this, but true or false, being on TV was a stressful experience? True, it was very stressful. <laughs> they even, um, we even called our season the season of bubble guts. You oh. know, like whenever you've like eaten something and then you get yes. tired, you just have vomit or puke or have diarrhea all the same time that's how we felt all the time wow okay so true or false you were once part of a nasa experiment true i um actually right after college um i was um teaching like a drawing class and one of my students um you know i was telling how i was you know kind of um in between jobs and they were like oh we heard that you can get paid a lot of money um with with Cleveland Clinic, they're doing these experiments to test um, bone and marrow loss in astronauts, but they didn't have any female um, candidates. And you had to be, it had to be really specific. Like you couldn't be a smoker, you couldn't have tattoos, you had to be under a certain weight limit or weight range or age range. And I happened to fit all the criteria. And so um, <laughs> yeah, so I basically just laid in this bed for six days straight. I had all these gadgets attached to me. No um, it was cool though because I got to eat all like I got to request all the food I wanted. It was all organic, all like super high end like meals, and then I got like a a midweek massage from a masseuse from the Ritz Carlton. Oh, I need to find out um, if I'm still doing this. <laughs> yeah, and then at the end of the week, I got paid like two thousand dollars. So I was like, everyone that was making fun of me, I was laughing. No, that's amazing. So, yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. So um, just so everybody knows, I will be linking all of Valerie's social media links in the description below. And as you know, we love to hear from you guys. So please like, subscribe, and send us an email if you have anyone in mind that you want to hear from. And see you next week.